Hi, welcome to Outrageous, a podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friends, Trisha in LA. Hello. And Jason in DC. Good evening. Hi, guys. How are you? Fabulous. Oh, wow. Yay, we did it. We beat coronavirus. So today is a, not a regular episode. We have all just recently finished watching Hulu's Little Fires Everywhere, starring Kerry Washington and Reese Witherspoon, adapted from a book by Charlotte Nya. And it was a bestseller three years ago, and now it is an awesome Hulu limited series. If you have not seen the show, you're gonna need to see the show to follow this conversation. So stop now. Go watch all eight hours of TV and then come back and listen to what we have to say. Last chance. See you later. Okay, great. Now everyone here has seen Little Fires Everywhere. Jason just finished watching it not 10 minutes ago. 10 minutes ago. Just <laughs> finished it. Ago. I watched like four episodes today. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Trisha first just so you have a few more seconds to collect your thoughts. But Trisha, what was your initial impression of the show? What do you think it did well? What did you like? What do you think it did less well? What didn't you like? I absolutely have to give praise and honor to Reese Witherspoon for her capacity to capture all types of white women in one (laughs) setting. But you know what? She does it without it being stereotypical because I didn't like hate her. I really was like, I really couldn't understand a lot of her behavior. I really could. But she was so recognizable in all of her glory from Becky all the way up to Karen Hood. She was all of it and just really stellar. But I, oh I, my I, God, from Becky to Karen has got to be an <laughs> upcoming film. I, we have to write that from Becky to Karen. Oh my God. Um, so I thought this, I thought the show really handled um, the tensions of motherhood really well. Um, I thought women's relationships were handled well in terms of mother-daughter relationships. I thought that the show really settled in very strongly on women's relationships. I don't know if it did as good a job in other types of relationships, but I think it nailed it out of the park with women's relationships. Mother-daughter, women with each other, mothers with each other, women as lovers, all of those, all of those elements were really striking and compelling to me. And I thought that it really did a good job of um, humanizing all the characters so that I didn't actually, I was reading a couple of reviews and people kept saying how different people were villains. And I didn't really leave thinking that way. I mean, I, I understood the choices people were making. And it was amazing how it took away the kind of this is a bad person because I really understood the motivations behind all of the actions. I will say... I struggled with Pearl, but it might just be because I really have, I've always been impatient with teenagers, even when I was a teenager. Yes, so, so that might've been my problem with Pearl. Cause there were moments when I'd be like, hello, you're black. What are you doing? You know? So there were those moments. I, I really enjoyed this series so much and it was uphill for me. Cause especially a show like this with like a ton of characters and subtext. Like I have to focus on the first episode and I was putting it off, putting it off. I was hooked in the first 20, 25 minutes, like totally pulled into this world because it seems so recognizable to me. And to piggyback off what you're saying, 
Reese Witherspoon, I would love to have a conversation and ask her, how is it she's able to evince white women on screen from election to Big Little Lies to this, to Sweet Home Alabama? Like there's, she either is so blithely unaware of her whiteness that they just turn on the camera and she does it, or she's so self-aware of her power and privilege as a white blonde woman. She's so, so convincing. I mean, this is a tale about race and class, and it's a tale about motherhood and women. And I knew it was about race and class going in. The motherhood women part really surprised me. Like contrasting, maybe contrasting isn't fair, but the show sets up two kinds of models of motherhood and womanhood. And one is sort of typified by Elena, who is white and privileged. And then there's Mia, who sort of lives in the margins, moving from place to place. I thought that was handled really very well. And to your point, Tricia, about Pearl, I recognized Pearl. I recognized all the characters and all of the female characters are much more strongly written than the male characters. I mean, the husband was kind of like there and kind of not, which I suppose was his character, but it doesn't leave a lot in a TV show. And even of the four white children, the two girls had bigger subplots that had to do with their internal worlds, uh, Izzy especially, um, Izzy and Lexi, Lexi less so. Yeah. And the boys were just objects for the women to act on or through. So I think this was really just about women. But Pearl, I really recognized as a black child around all this whiteness and wanting to identify with it and trying to lose herself in it. I recognized that. I thought I did the women's relationships really well. I thought there were moments when, um, especially Elena was being called out by Mia that really rang so true. If I was gonna say something I thought I didn't do well, and again, this is hard because there's no such thing as like a perfect work. I mean, I don't know if I needed to hear more from the men's stories. I think it was besides the point. I just, I thought it was really well. I mean, the only thing I can really nitpick on was Carrie Washington was outshined by Reese Witherspoon and some of the child actors. I mean, there was one scene where she sort of Olivia Pope struts into the room and I was like, no, you're not that character anymore. <laughs> but otherwise I, I don't really have any, I didn't have any issues with the storytelling or the narration. What about you, Jason? It's still fresh in your mind. I found it stirred lots of stuff up in me and there were things that I found very moving, but there were also lots of things I, I didn't like. I agree. The child acting is phenomenal. Reese Witherspoon is phenomenal. It does a great job of capturing issues of privilege and race and class and motherhood, all the things that you both said. I, I agree that without a doubt, the female characters have are, are much deeper and it's much more about them. But I do think it's interesting that the female characters, and I agree with what you said, Trisha, like that it really goes to great pains to show you the why of why they do certain things. But they do some really rough things to each other and themselves and their daughters and their mothers. And the the male characters, there are slight transgressions, but they're quickly repaired. And I, I just found that very interesting. Like the male characters almost get like a moral pass, I feel like. I mean, they're they're simpler, but also much more more I don't moral might not be the right word. You think about how much the women lie and again, the extremes that they go to. And you just don't see that from the men. Now, maybe we could pull back and say, well, 
that's because life is much easier for men. And I, I think we could say that, but there are some male characters like Mia's brother, who we get some glimpses of before he died as a, as a young person, um, who just shines, right? He's like a phenomenal person. There is Reese Witherspoon's former boyfriend, um, I should say Elena's, and he seems to, not perfect, but I don't know. I just, I found that very interesting. Like, yes, there's a difference in depth, but there's also a difference in kind of moral compass, which I found a little, like, potentially troubling. Is that fair, though, given that the characters you're describing, are they, they really don't have depth. Warren, the brother, is introduced from the moment that he appears and he's so wonderful and loving, you knew it was going to have a tragic ending, even if you weren't told that in the story, because he's the character that moves the, the story forward. As far as that other boyfriend, like the Elena's ex-boyfriend who shows up and is wonderful and handsome and successful, like they do, they, you're saying that they have more of a moral pass, but really they don't really have a lot of conflict. Even with the boys between Trip and Moody, the conflict about Pearl it was really more about Pearl than it was about them. It was quickly resolved, yes, but they didn't really have internal worlds. Not that what you couldn't mean, sum up in a single sentence. What do you mean it was quickly resolved? I don't I think mean, that was resolved at all. Trip and Moody? Yeah, that, that's not going to be resolved. I mean, to be honest, that was the most despicable act for me in the entire thing. Really? Yeah. I Ooh, Say more, because wait, 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 wait. revealing to Pearl that her mom, like... Okay, I'm no, gonna hear more about that. You know what? You know why? Because this is what's so interesting. And I think it may go it may get to what Jason's saying in terms of layers and complexity. And I think the show tried to do this whole thing about how Moody, you 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 aren't owed Pearl's affections and all of that crap. I don't buy that stuff. It has nothing to do with whether he was owed her affection. He has a relationship with his brother, Trip. Trip crossed the line as a sibling. That's what that's about for me. That's a betrayal. It has nothing to do with it, whether he thought there was some ownership there. and Because essentially, obviously you all know because you're, you're stick around, but Trip starts dating Pearl, even though Moody has loved or liked Pearl or whatever. And he does it in secret. I found that devastating. Because I thought to myself, there's no way this person trusts this guy ever again. Like he's not a safe space to land. I found that morally reprehensible. And I don't think it was healed. Like it ran, it ran quickly to the ending because they were dealing with like other issues. But I don't think that was resolved. Hmm. I, I would agree it wasn't resolved. The morally troubling part of that is that he didn't tell his brother before he went into all that. But look, Pearl from the very beginning really liked Trip. Trip, who previously had been, you know, treating women as objects, really liked Pearl. Like that happens. I don't think that that's that's not a moral choice. I don't think now when he started sleeping with her and didn't tell his brother, like that's different. But I don't, I don't a know. Moral like, choice. Listen. What? <laughs> okay. First of all, first of all, this goes back to what I'm saying is that like if you if you dig too deep into the male characters, there's really not a lot there. Like for, if if you just think about it like as a narrative, Pearl. Uh, was enamored of the Richardsons, enamored of this white privileged lifestyle. And Tripp was more of an icon of that than Moody was, which is why she was attracted to him. Captain of the football team, all this other stuff. He gets all these white girls. Like that's why she was attracted to him. That's his function in the story. Uh, what Trisha's bringing up, I think is really interesting. Like thinking about that relationship, not as I think the author wants you to as through Pearl, but between themselves, 
between the two brothers, the family relationship there that was violated, I feel like that's something that didn't have any room to breathe. Like you saw them fight and it was explosive. And I remember that scene, I was like covering my mouth because it was just so, I mean, to hit another family member to me, it's just so violent. And I feel like but, the repercussions of that, you can't escape from it, but I don't, but still the spot, spotlight was not shown on there because like Trisha said, they were trying to like show you to the point like, oh, this is about Pearl and feel ownership about Pearl. It's interesting that you, that you zoomed into that though, Trish. I just want to say, I mean, you're, you say it, Trisha, like the relationship was one of safety and then wasn't the very first episode we see that the, the brothers have an awful relationship. I wouldn't define it as awful. They're brothers. I didn't despise, I didn't see it as awful. Yeah, I mean, me I think there's so many interesting, there's so many moments, right? Because he has a secret space that he takes Pearl. And then Pearl takes his brother to the secret place. That's true. That was so, so nasty like, on that's her part. I, that was quite a betrayal, actually. <laughs> so that's a good point. Not nasty. Very, not only does he take her to the, does she take him to the secret place? She then like allows him to sexually have an interaction with her in the secret place. It's just so much going on there. And of course, like, yeah, it's like not a thing. But I mean, the whole time I kept looking at it going, ooh, baby, this is going to be. But even that, I feel like it was (laughs) Pearl, like, it was Pearl, like, flexing and feeling out what privilege feels like. You know what I mean? I get to occupy whatever space I want, you know? And through Trip, she gets to do all these things. Let's talk about the adults. I think the main story is really like Mia versus Elena, which then (laughs) through. Mia's coworker, they they actually have their battle in court through surrogates. Yeah. Well said. Was, well said. Very well. Was, it was a it was a proxy war. Yeah, it really was. There was one scene. There was a scene in the courtroom. There are many where Elena looks over to Mia and Mia looks over at Elena. And that's when I was like, oh my gosh, you two are just you dragged your friends here. You made this happen. Ew. So you could get your definition of motherhood like stamped. Like it will be like, this is correct. What the way that you lived your life is correct. And when I was watching the show, I didn't key in on that's what the show was doing when they had that whole vagina monologue thing in the second episode. I have to go back and watch that scene because Mia has a monologue where she talks about motherhood and her vagina and what her vagina would say and the rest of it. And I I didn't, I wasn't keyed into the difference between the two women, but what would you two say was the difference between their ideas of their femininity and motherhood? The difference or the similarities? I know. I was gonna. I was just gonna say Ooh, that. You know, you, why not Chris, both? You stumbled over the word contrast, and you know, we, we read this article right before this, which they use the word contrast, and I think it's the wrong word. It's definitely not the same. It's not a dichotomy. That's why I don't right. want to set it up as that, like, oh, right. good or bad, or better or worse, or poor, rich, or white or black. It's it's not. It's just two kinds of way of thinking about your womanhood. Well, I, let me just say one thing that I found very interesting, which is. Both of them, and this is maybe unconscious and it's certainly something that happens in reality, but both mothers, through their mothering, they're trying to address, resolve, evade all at the same time, you know, some of their pathologies. Well, for me, the thing that really has struck me in terms of the similarity is the motherhood was ownership. Yeah. Their children were yes. owned you by are mine. Mine. Yeah. mine. I it says that mine. multiple times. You are mine. Mine. Like it's mine to do. Like Mia couches mine as a kind of freedom, right? Whereas Elena, Elena. it's supposed to be a sort of prison. But in the end, it becomes the same for both of the daughters as well as the women. Like they're both using their children as extensions of themselves and demanding a certain kind of um, um, performance 
of daughterhood or womanhood or any of that. Because the other thing is like, Mia really does believe that the life that she's chosen is the best life. Yes. It's the freest life. It's the whatever life. And Elena similarly believes that the life she has chosen is the best. And then they want to impress upon both of their daughters to have that life. And so I, w- I remember my sister coming into the room and said, well, they should switch daughters, right? Because in many ways, like Elena's security is what Pearl wanted. Right. And then Lexi, I mean, not Lexi, Liz Izzy, Izzy wanted the freedom that Mia represented, you know? So it was like, you are, you basically have to deal with the child that you get. And neither women really wanted to. It's interesting the way that you set up freedom versus prison, because on one level, we think of Mia representing, evincing freedom, mm-hmm. but she isn't a prison of her own making as far as she's on the run. Like she moves around from place to place, yeah. you know, pretending like she's poor because she, I think partly, I don't know if it's partly to escape scrutiny from the Ryans or, you know, because she's trying to teach or tell Pearl and therefore herself something about a kind of lifestyle that is valuable you know, it's, it's, it is a prison to have to pick up every couple of months and move and you can't lay down roots. Meanwhile, Elena, who you would think of, especially in her flashback, is being imprisoned by her children. Like her whiteness and her privilege give her an immense amount of freedom. Like she, the way that she just waves off the school counselor, waves off, waves off the police. She's off to New York. She's doing all these other things. Like it's interesting how that plays out. And in, in court, the way that Elena supports the McCulloughs and the idea that they found the child, they got this child, they're going to provide everything for it. It's like, this is what mothers do. This is what mothers is. Like, this child is yours. You own it. Like you said, very much about ownership. And Mia's whole thing was like, it came out of her body. It came out of Bibi's body. So the child belongs to her. I understand where Mia's coming from, right? She has to believe. She needs to believe she did the right thing by like standing up that family and taking their child. She has to believe that. She needs Bibi to win. I am not quite certain why Elena was there. Some, I think that's the thing that I'm struggling with a little bit. Elena very much needed to think that she was a good person. Like most Karens, you know, she really had to believe that she was being good she to people who are less I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. It can't be my fault. I'm a good person. What do you think happens in Karen's... Oh, sorry. Oh, <laughs> Elena. What do, you, what do you think happened in Elena's brain? What flipped the switch from her being overwhelmed by her life with the four kids to becoming this kind... To marshalling her resources in a certain way? Because she was overwhelmed. But this is what she did. She, she would be overwhelmed. And then, but what Mia and Bibi gave her an opportunity to do is direct all that you know, she, that was her space to, to be, to exert power. She didn't know how to deal with her kids, right. Other than try to force them to be like her, um, which didn't two work of them anyway, to yeah. which didn't work with the other two and ultimately didn't even work with the older two. And so this was her chance to exert herself. I mean, just like her journalism, like writing the story, right? Like she was failing to write Izzy's story. She kept trying to rewrite it and she would fail. So she was really trying to write the story for Linda and the McCulloughs and and that whole thing. Well, I was actually really trying to, what I was trying to actually figure out was I could see the through line from Carrie in the past, sorry, from Mia in the past to who she becomes in the present. 
But it was really difficult for me to, oh, I see see what you're that, saying. to see that transition from Elena being overwhelmed in the 70s and whatever, that that period in the past where the baby's crying and everything. Like, I was like, wow, she was not handling it. And I was just t- trying to figure out what that switch was for her when she became, when she started seeing it as much more of a challenge or like a chore or well, I don't know what it was. Now that, now that you're saying it, you know, there was that that whole episode, which was a flashback about the women's lives when they were younger. So Elena goes from like smashing the dishes and freaking out after the fourth child and being disappointed in the work sphere that people are getting promotions over her. And she has that conversation with her mother, who is definitely from like the, you know, the cigarette in one hand and gin in the other school of mothering, where she's basically like, you know, sometimes you have to let the men be the men and you be the woman, which is interesting because I don't think Elena was necessarily, I think she was fighting back against that. We Mm -hmm. see Elena in Paris with hot journalist ex-boyfriend. I forget his name in the show. Jamie. 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 We see her with Jamie and Jamie's like, let's adventure. And she's like, no, I have a plan. Plan. Right? The plan goes awry because she can't have it all. Right? She can't have it all. She has the fourth kid, can't get it all. And her mom says, listen, you know, you can have it all if you just relax back. All you do is relax back. And I I think it's, so that didn't sit well with her. I do. I think she was like, okay, the path is for her, right? All she has to do, we'll give you a house. Your husband's going to be partner. You're going to have a lot of money. Stay home. And then she has her little part-time job. You know, she's a landlord. She gets to feel important. She gets to flex her power. But it wasn't satisfying for her ultimately. The, she is so constrained where Mia is so emotional and free. There are so many differences between the women. But the one that I want to highlight is the sexual differences between them. Elena will only only (laughs) have sex with her husband on Wednesday and Saturday. And it is 12.02. It's two minutes after midnight. I'm sorry. She's closed down there. You know what I mean? It's Thursday now. It's Thursday now, honey. You have to wait. (laughs) Meanwhile, Mia's having a bad day. Her boss is like, hey. And she's like, let's go. Just rides him like a pony. And is like, you better leave. You know what I mean? She gets what she needs out of it. And she moves on. Like, it's all these ways in which, like, Elena's life and her womanhood is so constrained. It's got to fit in a box. It's got to look a certain way. And Mia's a little bit more free form with it, which is why I think Mia drives Elena insane. Later. <laughs> Elena starts to lose her mind later in the That's show. That's true. Well, and there's that great line when her daughter says, what did she say? Are you mad at her? Because of me, or are you mad at her because she's in the New York Times and you never will be? Izzy had so much of the, some of the best burns. She, <laughs> she was cruel. Well, not, not, not your puppet. Oh, my God. Was she cruel or honest? Well, I, when she wrote not your puppet uh, on her forehead, on the, uh, that was just, oh, God. So I, can we talk about, I have to say, there was a gut punch scene and I was a little bit shocked that I did. I mean, I'm, you're nodding your head, but I don't even know which scene you're thinking about, but I'm going to explain. So the scene after Lexi has had the abortion mm-hmm. and she's talking to Mia, mm-hmm. you would think that you were about to get Mammy Mia. You thought, okay, Mia is going to feel all kind of compassion for this girl feeling so sad. <laughs> whoop, whoop, whoop. Mia was savage. Let that bitch have it. Wow. 
I thought it was going to be one of those woman to woman moment. Like I understand how your choices were constrained. She unleashed on this. She unleashed this whole idea of Lexi really using her whiteness and weaponizing it against her daughter. And she's like, I'm not here for it. I mean, I was a little bit surprised by that. I was taken aback because I was like, that's a scene that I've never seen on screen. Exactly. And by the way, that's exactly the scene I knew you were going to underline. Okay. I, fell off, I fell off the goddamn couch. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen so many movies, read so many books, been in so many situations where I wanted to say that. And to see someone say it, like, for real this time, be like, no hugs from me. Like, you did all this shit and you still want more? No. I'm, th- <laughs> I'm closed for business. Oh, I thought it was great. I mean, Lexi... What? You didn't think it was cruel? <laughs> no. Nah. Lexi... Lexi, I found Lexi excruciating throughout. And so to see her get dressed down, especially after she exploited Pearl like that, I, I was, it was like, yes. I love when she said, you know what? And you take your mug and rinse it out in the sink for once. Well, <laughs> I find the way that Mia handled Elena in the second or third episode when she's like, I'm not your maid and we were never friends. Yeah. Um, I love that. I love that scene with Lexi and I love Izzy near the end when Izzy does her stunt at school and expects to be congratulated by Mia. And Mia's like, yeah, you can challenge people, but I can challenge you right back. You know what I mean? And you have to accept that. I, I love the idea of pushing back on all the white women being like, we're both women, but let's never forget for a second that we are differently situated. And just because you wanted to forget it doesn't mean that it's forgotten. It's real. It's in the room. And it's always here, no matter what your intentions are, whether you're trying to be a good person or whether you're trying to understand, it doesn't matter. I loved those scenes. I thought they were really real. As, as, as kind of to the guy that really was sort of unexplored, but I was intrigued and wondered what you thought. What do you think was happening with Lexi's black boyfriend? I mean, what do you think drew him to her? And then- Why was he there? Why was he there? And yeah. then what do you think really began to un- unfold for him? Well, this he's another example to me of just what was, for the most part, this very moral character. Um, I'm not saying that's all that it was, but I found him to be another character like me as brother, who's just like, I thought, like an inspiring, you know, character. I think, you know, it seemed to me he was attracted to her, you know, lots of high school, good-looking, successful, popular high school boys are attracted to good-looking, successful. Um, but, you know, how much of it was love versus was lust or whatever. I mean, it was a high school uh, relationship. I think that, you know, he clearly, from day one, and you could see it on his face, and you could see why, was not comfortable being in her house because her mom was such a kind of patronizing, unself-aware person. Um, Just in the way that white people bring up Barack Obama at the dinner table whenever I'm present, it was the same thing with her mom bringing up Martin Luther King. It's like, we get it. Right, exactly. And I think he started to see that even though like Lexi was with him or whatever, she was not immune to wielding her privilege in ways that were exploitative of, of black people. And I think ultimately he just couldn't accept it. Like she was... She was being her mother, and it's something I, I'm guessing he hadn't seen until Pearl showed up. I the, the Lexi's character, I feel like, got short shrift. It's funny because we spent so much time with her, and at the same time, I feel like we didn't really, I didn't really get a handle on who she was. Like 
she's somewhere closer to Elena. She wants to please her mother. She wants to be perfect. She feels that pressure. She talks about it. She specifically name checks that in the last few minutes of the show. She makes a comment earlier when she first meets Pearl at the dinner table and says that she'll have no trouble getting to college because of affirmative action. Mm -hmm. And she says that her boyfriend says that. When we meet the boyfriend, I'm convinced that's not something that he would say. That felt like a clue to me about who Lexi is and what she's taking in and why she's there. You know, the fact that, you know, it was the 90s and back in the 90s, oh, I don't see color. You're just my boyfriend. Although I don't really believe that for a second. But really, not, it's not why Lexi was there, wasn't your question. Why is he there? I think for all the reasons that Jason says, like it's high school, she's hot. Well, it was really interesting. And again, I don't think these, the male characters are given a lot of depth. But what I did note was like his distinction from Pearl where Pearl was so enamored of white privilege, he was really suspicious of it. And he was irked by her family, irked by the little things that she was saying, always looking for the hidden messages, always looking for like supremacist ideas in what his girlfriend was saying. So I don't know if I know why he was there as a character. I know why he was there in the story. I think it's a good contrast to Pearl as another black character who's handling the whiteness around him differently. It was interesting because you know how like you meet another black person in a white space and you try to do the nod and you tried to do the nod to Pearl and she missed it. Yeah. Well, she wasn't interested. Yeah. I was like, and that's, that's, that's like my biggest problem with Pearl, but I get it. Like she did not want to live in that blackness space. No. And he was, and he he was like, Hey, if you need to talk, if you have things to say, do you know what I mean? Like, but she was just like, whoop. Completely. Yeah, she was like, I'm good. Thanks. I'll take that bike. I'll take dinner. Let's watch Ricky Lake. Let's, yes. Oh, and because Elena had kind of seduced her, right? Yes. But did you you think that it was weird, though? I almost felt like she missed it. Like, I didn't even think like she was like keen in in a sort of cynical way where she was like, yeah, I know I'm black and, but still, whatever. I actually felt like she missed the connection. Like she almost looked confused by what he was trying to when he was trying to engage her on that level, like well, at, the, I, at the party or something like that. Maybe. Like, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, you know, he grew up in Shaker all his life. He has been around all these dynamics his whole life. And as far as we know, she has not. She's had a very different upbringing. True. And Elena, from minute one, has been like, you are always welcome in my house. Stay for dinner, of course. Every sign that had been given to her that she was equipped to recognize was you are a hundred percent accepted. She was lived under that fantasy for a good part of the series. Um, And to be fair, Pearl wanted to, Pearl wanted to swallow the entire hook. There was no resistance on her part. Yeah. You're in shaker. Now everything's possible. Remember they would say that to her, right? Like everything's you go to shaker. Now everything's possible. Before we um, wrap up, there is one point I want to bring up because I find this very interesting in the book. The author does not specify the race of the Warrens. Uh, And the author says that she did not feel comfortable writing a black woman and putting uh, her voice in a black woman's story. We we didn't read the book and so we can't talk about the book, but I just wanted to know what, if you guys had thoughts on that, would this story have been different to you if there was some ambiguity to what race the Warrens were? I can't imagine the book. Yeah. I can't imagine the book and the ambiguity. Because the racial specificity in this story, on um, in the series, plays so well. And this is the thing that's really interesting about, I mean, it's almost a critique of the very idea of I don't see color, right? 
um, which you can probably afford in a novel. So I'm curious how the reader of the story was exploring those ideas, the tensions. Like maybe they're just seeing it purely as the fantasy that Pearl is seeing. But when you add Pearl's race in and um, Mia's race in, it really like draws these parallels in very different ways. And it gives it a history and a tone that I just, I, and a richness that I, I, it's, I can't imagine what the book was, even though the book was very well received and very mm-hmm. loved too. I mean, I'm curious to read it now. I don't know for sure whether I will, but I'm curious not only because of that, other reasons too, but, but that, that is the biggest part. I don't know if I could read the whole book, but I will say that I, I think that if their race was not specific, the story probably really leans more into the freedom prison dichotomy or the the class dichotomy or just, you know, the ease by which Mia goes through her life. Her The supposed surface ease by which she goes through her life contrasted by Elena's thoughtical approach. Yeah. I imagine that probably gets leaned on a little bit more, but I think it'd be really interesting to read the story. It would It would make me, it would madden me. I think there's a lot of lines and stuff that obviously aren't in the book because they're so specific to the race. But mm-hmm. I think just visually looking at Pearl, like Pearl walking into the house for the first time, like you get that at that point in time, she believes that she's poor. So it's a rich, poor thing happening. But also like as a black person watching it, I was like, I have been in this situation, you know? <laughs> and by by the time I was a teenager, my family was not poor, but even still walking to white people's house was like a, it was a moment, it was an event. And I, I got that. I, it's interesting. I can't imagine what the book must be like. But yeah. I don't think we can leave without talking about this, though, because there was a racial, there was a racial element to the book and also to the series that was maintained. Um, Bibi, like, what about the Asian story in there? Like, I mean, it's so fascinating, right? This like white couple with this Asian baby, which is which is all the rage in the nineties. I mean, mm-hmm. you just see all of these like older ladies who are post-career, mid-career, what have you, the different reasons. Also, China was still open for adoption back then. Yes, right. Well, and so up that... until pretty recently, actually. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's China closed like... pretty recently. Yeah. A lot of countries closed as they were well, like, wait, why are we shipping our babies off? <laughs> I know. Yeah. How, did the raci- how did the Asian racial dynamics play out for you in this story? Did you all connect to it? Did you feel, I mean, I felt connected only to BB as a kind of like, you deserve your child. And even if you are poor, that doesn't mean that you get to lose your child. You know, all of those kinds of things. But I, I don't know. How did it feel for you all? Strangely, uh, given that the author was Asian American, and again, we have not read the book. Yep. I feel like BB, much like the McCulloughs, were just props in a larger story, right? They were parts of Mia and Elena's story. So BB's like hard luck single mother immigrant story contrasted with the McCullough's like childless white older couple. I mean, again, these characters didn't have a lot of depth and they weren't really allowed to because Mia and Elena sucked up all the energy from their stories and made it their own. I'm surprised that the Asian part of that story wasn't told, especially like the white versus Asian thing that was happening. There was a moment when Linda was being cross-examined by BB's lawyer about, mm-hmm. so you had fortune cookies at the party. Why? We thought it'd be cute, a cute little prop, a prop. So her Asianness is a prop. That was the only moment where you really were feeling tension between like the white characters and the Asian characters. Other than that one scene, 
Did it ever come up, Jason? Did it was that ever there for you? I mean, it was here and there. I mean, there are other episodes that touched on the name, the difference in the names. I, I think it was there, but I agree. It was definitely a much more minor kind of part to the story. I mean, what I found interesting about that story earlier than the court scene was just like Mia all of a sudden was trying to be trying to fix BB's problem the same way that Elena was trying to fix some of Mia's problems like that. That was very interesting to me. It played out differently as it went on. But I, but yeah, I, I think BB did seem more that that whole subplot was mostly illustrating the conflict between Elena and Mia more than it was exploring the conflict in itself. I'm so curious about that, though. Curious about the racialized element with Asians and whites. But I always feel like there's a quietness to the way the Asian issues play out, even though I feel like there's a ton of subtext that maybe I'm missing. Do you know what I mean? And I'm wondering if the writer writes it that way because she's Asian American. She's understood it. She's been in the spaces. Final question. The author said that she didn't feel comfortable writing a Black woman because it's not her experience. Yet she had no problem writing Elena, who is a white woman. I don't know what to make of that. I, I thought that was a really interesting statement that she could, could not discuss the Black female experience, but the white female experience she wrote an entire book about. Because it's, I, I think it's, you know, whites are the dominant group in this country. And so everyone else understands white people to, to an extent that it doesn't work the other way because those in power, there's not a need to understand those not as much in power. Um, so I, I don't know, that makes a lot of sense to me. Like, um, it, you know, this would be a bit of a tangent, but I remember when I was in Israel or I was in Turkey, actually, and I, I, I had just been in Israel. I met a couple of, of people of Palestinian origin, one Palestinian American, one Palestinian Jordanian. And it was interesting because as they were talking, like, like the the woman who was Palestinian American, like she knew Hebrew. They knew so much about Israeli culture. And I, I was there with a friend of mine who was Jewish that we had been in Israel together. We're traveling in Turkey together. And I said to him, like, that's amazing. Like, I feel like Israelis don't know Palestinians like that. And he's like, yeah, because Palestinians have to. It's like a matter of survival. They have to know about Israelis and Israeli culture. Like, that's how they survive. Like, Israeli is the position they're in, don't need to. And I think it's similar. Like, everyone who's not white, they get a study in whiteness every day in this country, but not vice versa. I totally agree. And I think um, I think that that's also why, why she didn't feel comfortable whiting Black folks is because she, in some sense, is acknowledging that any kind of representation of Blackness that she might be trying to replicate has been through the prism of others, right? So it's like, replicate, like, it's like a copy of a copy of a copy. I've had these really very distinct interactions with white people, but also have been taught about white people, very mm. explicitly about white people. So I, very, I feel very comfortable unpacking that and unpacking these women. But I don't know how much, how comfortable I'm going to feel having maybe I'm not making an assumption. Who knows? Maybe she's had a lot of friends, but you don't have a cultural practice of explicating black people. There's no cultural practice of that. So you're not going to sit around and be like, I know this group pretty well. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I will say that was interesting because I remember thinking to my sister, I said, it's interesting to see a character like Mia on screen because we don't often see black women written that way. And so maybe yeah. she wasn't originally written 
as a black woman, but the idea of a kind of roving artist black woman, it's not a typology that we often see. Um, it's it's a really tricky mix, you know what I mean? Like there's strong black mother, blah, 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 blah. But yeah. even those elements are there, but they're just they weren't they weren't done in the same way that you're normally seeing it. That's not a characterization of black women that you see on screen. I totally agree. I thought, you know, it's it's rare that you would see a black woman in a show like that who speaks standard English but doesn't have a lot of money. Like those things don't usually go together in television and and and, and then it's and it's revealed that she's highly successful and wealthy. Right. And a lesbian. Right. And I mean, I felt like she was totally trying to channeling. Or at Audrey least attracted Lord. to women. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean? It was like the Audrey Lord thing in that the seven in that whole like artist phase. I was like, wow. Yeah. Because you know, it was like the Keith Herring period as well. So there was this whole other kind of subtext. I was like, oh, she's part of that artist black group. That's that community that she was becoming aware of herself in. So yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. I love those that, women. I feel like we should see more of those black women. We just don't see them. I, I totally agree. Were you too offended by the portrayal of Jamaicans in it? <laughs> Why couldn't they get actors who could do a Jamaican accent? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Do you think of Karen Rockington's Jamaican accent? Did you like that? I know. Thanks, Jason. Do you remember she said that one line? Did she? I blocked it out. Yeah. The whole time with her parents, I was like, is it? Cock killed or something? Oh. Which is a, a which have you ever heard that before, Trisha, in your life? I couldn't understand what they were saying, so I didn't <laughs> I, did, I didn't key into it. I was it's like an old I Jamaican know. saying. I was like, where? Which where? Jamaican? <laughs> First of all, I need to understand it because I couldn't hear it. I was like, what is this saying? <laughs> I wasn't offended, but there were some elements that were I mean, kicked out by Jamaicans. I don't really see that. But a pressure to deliver on all of the promise, definitely. Excommunicated? Oh, that feels really strong. No other family? <laughs> I mean, you're related to like 60 or 70 people. I don't know. But yeah, that part of it was a little bit a little bit too far. I don't well, I'm just gonna say I don't know those Jamaicans. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the Jamaicans who are turned away by their family and nobody wants anything to do with them. There's always you have an uncle, you know, <laughs> you have a like an auntie somewhere. You Some... know what? It's so funny you're saying that because I remember saying that to V. I was like, these parents are struggling so much with their children in a Jamaican space. You simply send them off. So like Pearl be like, go live with Elena. Izzy, go live with whatever. You know what I mean? It's like you find the appropriate parent or adult that's working for your child and you send them there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's one thing Jamaicans do all too well. All too well. <laughs> it's like you need to go live in the country. You need to go live in a different country. A different country from me. Or you need uh, to live with your auntie over there. I'm having problems with you. Go live with your auntie Joy. Great. Thanks. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> anyway. All right, you two. So this has been exciting and great. We'll have to find something else to talk about in the future. But until then, bye. Bye.